A word from our sponsor, Von Seger Designs is a small Nebraska custom woodworking business making hand-burned customized wood pieces to be a statement in any room. Working with clients every step of the way, from hand-selecting the wood to customizing the design Von Segrin Designs, makes the process as smooth as possible. Specializing in items from themed bar carts and tables to cutting boards and signs so that you can show your team pride all year round. Show your Husker support in a unique and functional way. When you work with Von Segrin Designs, you support small businesses throughout the region. Allow Von Segrin Design to create a custom, fresh, hand-burned piece wood for your home or business. You can link up with them at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-D-N-E-S-I-1 and at V-O-N-S-E-G-G-E-R-N underscore designs. So check them out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, go Big Red, and uh, let's start the podcast. For some, sports in Nebraska is more like a religion. And for those devout followers, there's Church of the Corn with Zach Santi, Alex Drake, and Fitz. On 1620 The Zone, 1620thezone.com and the Zone app, Church of the Corn starts now. Here are Zach, Alex, and Fitz. Welcome to the Church of the Corn, folks, uh, brought to you by FCC Trucking. Uh, excited to be here today. Zach, joined by Drake and Fitz. We got a fun one here with us today, so... Um, Call in anytime, 402-951-1620, or get at us on Twitter. Uh, we'll do our Big Ten Scripture Talk. Uh, we've got Illinois-Wisconsin today, joined by uh, Omaha World Herald's reporter, uh, Evan Bland. We're going to talk some of the best coaching hires in the country. That's head coaches and assistants. Of course, we've got everyone's favorite recruiting on three, Brian Munson. And then we'll finish up with the offering plate today and make you all a little bit of money. So let's start off with some big news of the week let's start off with old pat narduzzi i don't know if this has been beaten in the ground enough but nobody gets to pick on mark whipple unless it's husker fans at this point so he said that the he had no desire to run the ball at all uh mark whipple and that he was too stubborn wake forest 118th in the country in run defense and they still threw it every down well, that's not true. If you look at the stats, it was a darn near 50-50 split on that game. But to me, it sounds like Narduzzi's just sour grapes at this point. Drake, uh, what, what do you got? You can't pick on our guy, right? No, absolutely not. Uh, Narduzzi sounds like somebody going through a very tough high school breakup right now. It does not matter what happened, what kind of success that team had. He's not going to say anything good. Heisman quarterback, Blitnikoff receiver. Yeah, uh, I'm. Come on, Pat. This is ridiculous. The oh, on the year you were almost you were like a fifty four forty six split pass to run, and you were a good team. And good teams do what they do well. You happen to have one of the best receivers and best quarterbacks in the country. What did you want them to do? You won. What they win? Ten games. Uh, I think After they won game? eleven. I believe eleven. Okay. Fitz looks like he's pondering. He wants to bring up kickers, I guess, but he can't hear. No, when you have – so they ended up winning that game 45-21 against Wake Forest. Um, I think, the as you, as you said, the split in that game, it was probably – I think it was 
passes 34 34 to 31 something like that and so it's not like they are not running the ball now the other side of it there were some um concerns that Pickett was a little bit banged up in that game and so why are you you know continuing to put him in those positions but again it was it was pretty equal and the fact of the matter is they were getting it done now he can come back too and saying we were getting 10 yards a carry but when they're up and they're doing that to to close out the game and doing and you're popping off a 40-yard run we all know that average is going to go up so I don't know I think Narduzzi uh is a little bit like Boston last night in the game and the rest of college football social media was the Toronto Blue Jays and it just didn't end up well for Narduzzi I'd also like to say it's pretty easy for your average per carry to go up when you're one of the number one passing attacks in the country. You're playing in the SEC against a very bad run team who's honestly Wake Forest wasn't a good defensive team, similar for the most of the ACC. And they had to do everything they could to sell out to slow down the passing attack after that game was out of hand. So, yeah, you're – I. Th- I think Pat Narduzzi is just being a little ridiculous. Soft. Soft. Baby soft, Sherman. Yeah, it's, it's um, I, you know, if you do have one of the top quarterbacks in the country, which before this year Pickett was not, um, but worked his way into one. I believe his first four years he had a combined 39 passing touchdowns. This last year alone was 42. And a Blitnikoff uh, receiver uh, in, in Addison who transferred to USC. To me it sounds like there's a common theme here that – People don't want to be around Narduzzi for longer than they have to. so um, And they move on to bigger and better things. So kind of is what it is. Uh, I, I think Pitt's going to have a rude awakening this year when they drop back to the pack. Um, this is a story I kind of wanted to bring up. It's, it's about Kyler Murray. Do you guys think he's worth the contract he just signed? He's the second highest paid quarterback in the league, I believe, uh, you know, on, on average. Drake, what, what what are your thoughts on Kyler Murray? Do you think he's the number two highest paid quarterback in the league? Should he be? Man, Kyler's good, and Kyler's young. Kyler has what we imagine is untapped potential. Now, there are definitely some physical limitations as to what he can do. Because um, he's got to sit in a high chair? <laughs> I, he, can't, he can't take the beating that, that a guy like Big Ben used to be able to take. So I don't I don't know. I don't know that he's proved enough to get this kind of a payday. Now the good thing for Arizona is this isn't all guaranteed money. This is not a Deshaun Watson style contract. But I think Ky- Kyler Kyler did deserve to get paid. Here's the craziest part part about this to me. Kyler Murray was picked ninth overall by the Oakland Athletics. His current salary is more than the entire Oakland Athletics. That's a I, yeah, I I seen that number and I didn't quite know, quite know what to make of it, but I'm like, that's the most insane thing when you're higher than an entire payroll. Yeah. Steve Kime, the uh, the GM, he's obviously connected to this and is either it's going to work out for both of them or it's going to work out for neither of them. Now, working out for Kyler Murray, of course, because he's getting the money. Um, but that's he's, why he's been one all off season. He's, he he wants the money. Um, he wants that that assurance that that he's the guy. You know, they started off hot, but I think they they lost 
seven of nine, maybe something like that on the on the back stretch of the season. Yeah, Cliff does not have a good record when it comes to the second half of the season. Even going back to Texas Tech, he's got a very, very spotty record. Well, and you you look at it that there's no matter what were to happen, Kyler Murray's gonna be on the roster. If it doesn't go as well as they want, Kyler Murray's gonna be on the roster longer than than Kingsbury. So well, yeah, I think that's when when you look at it, it's easier to get rid of a um, head coach or a GM any more than it is a franchise quarterback. Everybody wants a franchise quarterback. Not everyone's willing to pay the cost to get one. Number one, you're going to have to pay dollars to him, and you're going to have to pay put draft picks and or big name players to get him. Now, I think he's got one of the best receivers in the league, um, and he's got one of the best culminations of young talent in the league on the Arizona Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury. Can they do enough? I guess, can Kyler be clutch in those big moments to earn, to show he's earned that payday like a Russell Wilson got? Um, can he can he put him in those big moments to say that, hey, I'm worth this money? What do you guys think? It, it's going to be tough because he has a, we all know what his tendencies are. He, when he scrambles, it's probably too soon. Is he willing to to stay a little bit more in the pocket? Is he going to be somebody that can create consistent plays for the for the offense? Um, you know, he 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 does. He end of games, you go down, things get a little bit chaotic. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. He kind of flourishes there. I just don't know. In that division too, they've got to get past what the defending champs, right? And they. We'll play them twice. So, you know, if that's the if that's the bar, I'm just not sure if it's if it's a good business model right now for them. It's it'll be interesting to see uh, where where he goes because now working with Kingsbury for longer, do things kind of get a little bit more um, uh, identified as what they want to do as a as a team and their their style. Um, if that's the case, he's talented. There's no question about that. So I got a question for well, you. Well, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to preface this with saying I love watching Kyler Murray. Some of the stuff he does on the field is amazing. But I don't know if I'm throwing him in my top five NFL quarterbacks today. No, I, I he's not in mine. And that's actually kind of the question I was going to bring up to you guys. If I was going to say his best-case scenario is a Russell Wilson, who's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, MVP quarterback, and his worst case scenario is a Josh Rosen. I I was gonna say his worst case scenario being a um, like a Michael Vick, a, an athletic freak, puts up crazy numbers, but really never wins anything of substance. Would you take that as his ceiling and his floor? Michael Vick floor, Russell Wilson ceiling. I I think his floor is much lower than Michael Vick. Um, again, part of it is he's just, when Michael Vick couldn't throw the ball, he could do some impressive. stuff some more impressive things on the ground. He could take more hits. I just, I think his floor is lower than Michael Vick because if you take away, take away his ability to throw, he can't run as effectively as some of those guys. He can make people miss and he can extend plays, but he can't run as well as some of your better NFL running quarterbacks if he can't throw. And that was kind of my question is because he is an athletic specimen uh, mm -hmm. being Kyler Murray. So was Michael Vick. I mean, they both share that, now, uh, Kyler's a better elite passer. Elite athleticism. Elite, yes, correct. Uh, as a passer, Kyler further along than Vic was in his mm -hmm. career. But as you've seen in older Vic, he was able to do a lot 
with his arm as opposed to his legs. That's why I'm saying, you know, his legs are eventually going to go away, Kyler's. He's still got that arm talent. But if you tell me his peak could be a Russell Wilson, sign me up all day. I think that I think he's worth every penny. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I love watching him. And I just think I think it's too early in his career to know if he's going to be elite. I mean, how long has it taken Josh Allen to put on, you know, that display that he did in the AFC Championship game last year? Yeah, I mean, you remember seeing him year one and going, oh, God, I don't know if this kid can actually make this jump to Sorry, play in the league. Sorry, not the AFC Championship, but the divisional round. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, when you've seen him his first year, you're like, he's not an NFL quarterback. And then the jump he made in a short time, you go, this wow, it's amazing what coaching can do for a kid that wants to do it. Because we remember watching him against Nebraska. I mean, he looked terrible. Yeah. His first year in the NFL looked terrible, looked like a dog in the headlights. And then you, after he gets some NFL coaching and gets that experience put in, it's amazing what a guy like that who's who's very untapped can do. Yeah, exactly. And I I just personally think that Kyler Murray, he he has a little bit more room for growth, but I don't I don't think that – I think he's already maximized most of his potential. He's very – so he's got three years in the league, and his completion percentage has has gone up uh, over the last three years. Over a career, he's sitting at just under 67%. Last year, 3,700 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions, rating of 100. So that's – I think that's kind of where you're at. He, We're not going to see that rating jump up to – 124 ever he 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 takes some risks um he's still he's got he's more effective when he's on the move the more that he's moving increases the chance that he's injured um contact non-contact there's all these just all these little pieces that that you fall into that have to fall into place i think for him to be really successful versus um uh, somebody like um bill's quarterback Josh Allen. Yeah, because I, I had Rosen, so I didn't want his. I was <laughs> like, that's not it. But Josh Allen, I would, I would take, I would take Josh Allen at this money every day of the week versus Kyler Murray right now. I think there's, they're both, they're both really, really good. But I think Josh Allen is a better NFL quarterback, and I think will probably long term will have a better career. And I just I think you're maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year. I think you're one or two seasons away from NFL defenses kind of figuring out how to defend him. I, I don't want to say that they've completely figured out how to slow down or defend Mahomes, but there was times last year where Mahomes looked very pedestrian because defenses kind of figured out how to slow it down. Yep, I, I feel like you can scheme it any way you want to, and eventually you'll figure out a quarterback. There's some good ones. That, I mean, if you can beat someone with your mind, that's that's what you want. But sometimes they take away your legs. So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, get going here. When we come back, we've got the big scripture here on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC on 1620 The Zone Gather around as we dive into our next team on the big scripture breakdown where we try to preach the gospel about other teams in the Big Ten. Let's get started. We're going to start off this week with the Fighting Illini of Illinois. After going 5-7 and seven last year, which honestly for them, pretty darn good record. Um, under Bielema, they did make a, cha- a change um, from the OC Tony Peterson, who was under him for one year. 
to his former tight end coach, Barry Looney Jr., who I think runs what he calls a pro tempo or a pro spread. I, I can't remember exactly what he called it. It was some weird Bielema thing. Um, switch of offense. Do you think they can get above that 500 point for them? I feel like that'd be a huge mark to set. I might be wrong here, but is it is this the year where you say this is what we know who Bielema is? Is this the year that he he continues to improve Illinois and you think he's closer to who he was at Wisconsin versus who he was at Arkansas? Ooh, that's a good question. That's ooh, I, I think so. I, I, I don't know if you do that year two or year three with, with a guy with this much power five experience. I think you could have done it prior to year one just because of what was around him at Wisconsin and Arkansas. The overall talent and players that he had in both of those stops is probably going to be collectively bigger, better than what he's going to have consistently and collectively at Illinois. And I just don't think he is the guy now. He's not your original question. Do we know who he is? We know who he is personality wise. We know, you know, he's not, He's not going to, we're not going to see him on social media all the time. He's not going to be, you know, going to a, spending the night and changing pajamas with, you know, at a recruit's house like Harbaugh, things like that. But he gets some guys, but he's got the, the mindset and the attitude that when he can get, they hit, they, they come out, they fly around the ball. Um, they want to, they want to mess it up. They want to muddy it up and they want to play some ugly football. I just don't know if that's a recipe for success, especially as we start to see uh, things expanding in the conference and um, the overall level of play in the Big Ten is going to continue to rise. Now, another thing to keep in mind is how much has he changed since leaving Arkansas? I believe he was at Alabama for a year or two as an analyst. I know he went back with the Patriots. How much How much has he changed learning under, under Bilicek and Saban? That remains to be seen. I think they go 500 this year. So... So back to a kind of what I would, it, that's, that's a very daring proposition, just going 500. I like that. It's, <laughs> you're taking some gambles there. Um, Zach, what, what does he have on that roster right now that's going to allow him to potentially go seven and five? What, can, what does he have to, to play with? So I, I honestly think his biggest piece that he's got coming back, I, well, this, this is a new piece. The transfer from Syracuse, Tommy DeVito, I think that's going to be a huge part to their kind of what they do this year. Um, I really feel like he was a talented kid at Syracuse. He just didn't have as much to work with up there. He's got a lot to work with at Illinois, which is crazy to say. But between what they got in the backfield and what they've got out out, out on the outskirts there, they've got enough dudes to work with. And the fr- up front, they should be solid. Um, and even if, you know, let's say DeVito doesn't work out, Nebraska fans, unfortunately, know Sutowski, I think is Arthur, his first name is. Um, he's pretty darn accurate when you don't touch him. I mean, he can complete most of his passes, 90-plus percent, I believe. Um, well, if they want to play, if they want to play, I think the way Burt wants, wants the team to play, it's, it's run heavy. Uh, it's, it's, you know, four tight ends, five linemen. Get the, the elephant package going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Satowski is perfect in that in that environment. Now he's your probably your projected starter. There's it could be an interesting camp battle to watch 
Um, but they just they don't want. I don't think he wants a risk taker. I mean, you not that not that what he was doing in Wisconsin was his doing in Wisconsin. I think there was a you know, dad upstairs yes, said this yeah, is what you're going to run. Yeah. And so, you know, but he's still, I, I still don't think he's, he's a guy that is a, is a risk taker as a, as a coach. Now this tempo, they could get going and depending on what they have on the field, it, it could get them. And sometimes a, a quick, a quick run from the quarterback, just three or four yards keeps, keeps the defense again. You get that quick first down or you get more yards and you can keep going. And that's, that's where that your tempo comes into play. And if, and if uh, DeVito can can do a little bit more with his legs, maybe maybe that becomes just a little bit of the difference for him. Well, that running – so I, I want to switch it from the quarterback room to the running back room because I think that's another one of their strengths on, on the offensive side of the ball. They did have Chase Brown who put up th- uh, 233 yards and a touchdown against Penn State, which I think was one of the longest games of all time. It was nine overtimes. Every time I switched back, it was another overtime. It was insane to watch. With going back to Bielema being being a run heavy guy, do you think they go one guy that's a bell cow, or do you think they've got a deep enough room that they can go by committee this year? Well, I I think that he's always been a bell cow guy. I mean, you think back to even when he was at Wisconsin, he had a bell cow, and then he had Monty Ball scoring scoring the touchdown. So I think there's going to be a bell bell cow guy, but number two is not going to be far off, and that that's just the way he operates. I, I think in his ideal world, they don't throw the ball more than 12 times a game, and they just run, run, run. So, yeah, there will be a bell cow, and then there will be a very close 1B or 2A, however you want to break it down, probably the touchdown vulture. Yeah, if you're a fantasy fan, that's the one that you hate. You're like, oh, don't get that guy in there because that's another touchdown. I think Chase Brown is a very good running back, too. I mean – he looked good against Nebraska. He had that crazy game against Penn State. That They have the ability to run the ball if they continue to roll out nine offensive linemen and one running back. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to do it. So I want to switch to the other side of the ball. Uh, they were they were pretty elite last year. Well, I shouldn't say elite. I'll, elite's top ten. But they were very, very good for an, for an Illinois defense. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. They were 29th in the country. Um, and scoring defense, which really at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I don't care how many yards you put up. But yardage-wise, they were still 46th in the country. Um, I I had absolutely no idea about that, I, that they were that good on defense until I looked it, looked into the stats and then started look, looking at a little bit of film. It's impressive. But do you think they can replicate that this year? They didn't give up a lot of points. So there's there's these two categories that you just talked about, giving the yards at, at 46. Um, and they only allowed 22 points a game. If you have an offense that can support that, only allowing 22 points a game is really, really good. So if those two stats can remain where they were or even get a little bit better, then you've got that chance. But they don't have any – there's no big-name guys. There's no superstars on that on that defense. Um, they've got some pieces, but – you have to maintain the ability to keep the other team's offense off schedule. They've got to make sure that they can continue to pressure the quarterback. That's something that they did They did pretty well. And then when they created what seemed to be some predictable play calling against them, it allowed their back end to, to do what they kind of do best, which is 
ball hawk come off and hit they want to they want to kind of bring that style of play and it can disrupt it can really disrupt some things if they're unable to do that it could go south in a hurry yeah and i also think a big part of that defensive success is how successful is that offense in keeping the other offense off the field i think that's a that plays a big part into their numbers i think the offense takes another step forward this year and it does help that defense improve yeah, I agree. I I think Illinois. Um, I think they could be that team that is improved play on the field, but somehow their record gets worse. I feel like that may be a good way to describe them this year. Who does Illinois want to be in the Big Ten? Yep, I I think they could be a mid tier team. They want to be Iowa. They want to be Iowa. They want to be Wisconsin. I mean, is that kind of where they're at? Yeah, yeah. I I think they want to be. I think they want to be a little flashier than Iowa, maybe because Iowa doesn't do anything super flashy, and for some reason, I. I Kind of got Bielema's a flashy kind of guy. But um, we'll go ahead and take a quick break here. When we return, uh, we'll be at part traction. two of the big scripture with the Wisconsin Badgers here on 1620 of the Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn with Zach Drake and Fitz. We are here for part two of the big scriptures with the Bullies from up north, the Wisconsin Badgers. If you have any comments or anything like that, give us a call, 402-951-1620. Join in on the conversation with us. Let's start off with the biggest enigma in college football. What the hell is going on with Graham Mertz? You mean the Graham Mertz that finished with under 60% completion percentage? Um, and the same a, one that missed only one pass against Illinois uh, the previous year? Yeah, that yeah. one. And it's just... It's under 2,000 yards, um, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. We know what Wisconsin wants to do, but without a better quarterback play, they can't, they can't do it because they were really, really good. And we'll get to this. They're really, really good on defense, but they just don't have – they can't find that balance. So, Mertz, he doesn't have anyone pushing him right now. It's his job. It's his job to lose. I think it's his job to lose again. And then they might, because they, they didn't make any changes last year. They never even sniffed it. They have, he's a fourth-year junior. Uh, Chase Wolf is their fifth-year senior. I think he threw 10 passes last year. Um, they've got a redshirt freshman, uh, Deacon Hill, but the, and then they've got a three-star uh, freshman, from Miles Burkett, which is, I believe, a local Wisconsin guy. Um, won some, some awards, has some accolades behind him. But they're not going to bring him in unless he just wows, wows camp. One quick thing that you brought up that I think there's another team that's very that's local here that wears red and white that's familiar with. You mentioned that Graham Mertz has nobody pushing him. UNO, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a certain one that transferred out, I should say. Well, um, I, would, I I know where you're oh, you were talking about the Cornhuskers. Yeah, oh. yeah, that team. Thank you, my, thank my you, apologies. Fitzgerald. Um, yeah, do you think that's part of the problem with his development is he hasn't had anybody and he's been the entrenched guy that no matter how badly he plays, he doesn't get pulled? Okay, well, let's not forget that he did come in and win the job from Cohen, who was pretty good at Notre Dame last year. Yes, yes and no. I mean, I do think there is a little bit of similarities between him and Adrian Martinez's growth and development because he is there Adrian Martinez for better or worse at at Wisconsin without any of the upside of Adrian Martinez but 
I don't know that that's the problem. I think Graham Mertz might, and it's this is so weird to say, I think Graham Mertz is exactly what Paul Christ wants him to be. Those numbers get a little bit lopsided in the negative when you end up playing from behind once in a while and, and you force him to be what you don't want him to be. I I think I'm going on the side of Paul Christ here and I think Graham Mertz is who he wants him to be, who he expects him to be. And that's why nobody's pushing him. I, I think there might be more talented guys on that roster that we haven't seen play. They just are, you know, rolling with him because they trust him. If he's, if he's already last year, maybe last year was a little bit of a down year. Maybe it was um, just not what he, where his potential um, can be. And, and maybe that, that gets better this year, but 110 completions of the 177 total receptions are gone. Those three receivers are out the door at Wisconsin. So he's got to figure out a way to get some familiarity, get comfortable, get on the same page with new guys. And we know, again, we know they want to run the ball. And I'm just wondering if he's the type of of quarterback that if he doesn't get into a rhythm and kind of starts to get loose a little bit, can he have the can he have the success that he is is capable of and they do they fall back not even falling back they want to run and so it's we're going to run and then we're going to sprinkle in some passing here and there i just don't i don't think that gives him the opportunity to probably play the way that elevate the way himself. That he wants to exactly right well and i'm glad you brought it up 110 of their 170 some odd completions are gone from that wide receiver room and this is this is exactly the conversation that I was having with myself as to why I think Graham Mertz is exactly who he wants to be or who Paul Chris wants him to be. Wisconsin didn't go out and really try to reload that wide receiver room. So I think the increased emphasis is going to be their tight end room, maybe a little bit more running back receptions, but they didn't they didn't go out and really try too hard for some big name wide receiver transfers. There's no evidence that that who they have left on the roster is going to be elite. So I I think that they're really going to steer into the run more so than normal in the tight end game. But my next question is, where are you guys at with Paul Chris? Is he on the hot seat? I, I think he's getting there because they're not competing for the big. They're not competing for Big Ten championships right now. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, I, I don't. I, I feel like Chris has to bottom out because he's still showing consistency to being in the top two, top three in that division. Um, unless he bottoms out completely, I, I don't see him being on the hot seat um, anytime soon. No, there's the expectations are there, um, but he does enough. I mean, they were first in the country in defense last year. They They finished the season four and one. It's not... It's not like they're, you know, they they went two and eleven, you know, two and ten and whatever it is. They they have the ability. They're constantly going to be in the top four of the Big Ten West. Now, is that enough to to keep his job? I think so because one season they're going to be fighting for the Big Ten West championship. Um, next season they're they're second or third, and they're just maybe a game and a half out, and it's it's unreachable by the end of the season. I just I just don't see him on the hot seat unless there's a complete and total breakdown and they go 
500 or worse this year and some players transfer out. Just all these things have to go wrong for him. It's not as cut and dry as maybe some other people that we are familiar with that could be quote unquote on the hot seat. So another question, this is actually from one of the listeners here, Eric. uh, And I think this is a great question. What is Wisconsin's toughest position group for Nebraska to overcome? I think that's a fabulous question. What, what do you guys think is going to be, I don't know. I I don't want to say the kryptonite for Nebraska on that Wisconsin team, but what do you guys really think is something that Nebraska's struggled with? Stopping the stretch run. Well, I was I was gonna say you kind of you have a couple of different ways you can go with this. the The easy cop out answer is the running back room, but running back room is built off of offensive line success. So I'm, I lean offensive line. But part of the problem Nebraska's had against them over the years is their linebackers and DNs getting to our quarterback. To me, the the toughest position group for us to overcome is the outside edge rushers on the defensive side because I think our defense can continue to do enough to keep us in the game. Last year, our offense did enough to, to make it close, but the def- their defense you know, shut us down at the end, and a huge part of that problem is we struggle to protect the outside edge with our quarterback dropping back. So I'm going with the outside edge rusher. We have to we have to stop their run. I mean, we know we know what they're going to do, and we know what it's going to look like. The Huskers have to have to stop the run because if they can get out uh, a couple, a few more three and outs, take last year's game. The offense for Nebraska was playing at will. They were doing almost everything that they wanted to do. Going down now, the red zone uh, inefficiency was was on full display there a little bit as well, but. If, if they stop that run, they get off the field a little bit, and Nebraska or any team can stretch a lead against, against Wisconsin, I think that's where you, you start to, to break them down because they're not built to come back and score in bunches. They want some long, methodical drives. Now, can their, can their 12-year-old um, sophomore running back bust out some stuff and, and, and make long plays? Of course he can. But I just think that the question from Eric, if Nebraska can can contain and stop that run and keep it at a make it a little bit more predictable for them and then put the game on Mertz's shoulders. And this is the game plan for anybody, I think. Then you you put your your team in in a greater position for success. What do you what do you think, Zach? You're you look like you're kind of seeing both sides of this. Yeah, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with that position group that. It may be a cop-out, it may not be, but I'm going to go with the coaches. Um, I'm going to go with an experienced defensive coordinator at Nebraska versus a very inexperienced coordinator at Wisconsin with Bobby Ingram. First year being a coordinator, never called plays before. I'm also going to go with a very experienced coordinator in Jim Leonard versus a very experienced coordinator in Mark Whipple. I, I think those coaching battles are going to be amazing to watch on the field this fall. Um, just just what we've got, it, 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 I, I'm so excited to see that defense of Wisconsin go against this Nebraska offense, and I'm really hoping by that it's clicking. And I want to see them both you know, firing at all cylinders because I think that's going to be an absolutely fabulous game. Um, 
the game is geared toward offense is producing more than helping defenses nowadays. So that could help Nebraska. But I'm I'm excited to see that coaching battle and see the uh, kind of battle of wits between the experience on experience. I think it's going to be incredible to watch this year. Um, when we return to the Church of the Corn on 1620 here, we will be joined by sports writer uh, Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. Stay tuned. Don't miss it. Join us. It's a pleasure to have us. How are you doing today, man? Hey, guys. Yeah, doing well. Trying to stay cool. But, uh, yeah, we're happy to hang out. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, guys, say good luck doing that. I think it's supposed to be 105 and everything's going to be on fire. So good Golf luck there. Golf is canceled today. <laughs> That sounds... That's why you come to the church. Right? Exactly. Cool. There you go. Fire. We have air conditioning and cookies and coffee in the basement, so you are right on. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about, speaking of Kool-Aid, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, what Omaha World Herald's got going on with the top 50 players uh, for this upcoming season. There's some, uh, there's some pretty interesting ones on there. Um, it, it, I'm guessing it's kind of a culmination of all you writers coming together and kind of putting heads together on everything. Yeah, it is. And and it's sort of what you want to make of it a little bit too, where it's not necessarily the best player per se. I mean, and often, oftentimes it is, but it's also players in key positions and, and players who are going to have maybe the biggest say in how the 2022 season plays out. No, that's perfect. And that's kind of what I was wondering is if it's a, uh, you know, production wise, or if you guys think <clears> it's <throat> going to be starters, which is going to be a couple of my questions here. Like, uh, a transfer that you know we didn't hear a whole lot from due to injuries was Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. You guys have him at 35th. I'm super high on him. Um, I just feel like he's got a lot of tools. With him being at 35, you guys think he's going to be a pretty major contributor to you know that offense this upcoming season, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think he and a few other guys. You could kind of put them in the Samori Toure sort of category where they came from you know, more humble backgrounds or, or, or smaller schools, if you will. And you just don't really know what that's like at the next level, because you look at his production in New Mexico and it was, it was pretty strong, right? Like touchdown passes, uh, a lot of receiving yards. And, and sometimes that can translate to the power five level and sometimes it can't. And so he, he's an interesting guy because if you recall, you know, he was one of the first transfers in that, in that cycle to join Nebraska and, and was sort of overshadowed by all the other activity that came after that. So, you know, he, he's someone who um, I do think maybe kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, especially with some of the other receiver ads that Nebraska brought in. But uh, you know, you look at his tape and, and it seems that sort of like Trey Palmer, his, his calling card is his speed and maybe being able to turn a, you know, a five yard out or whatever into 25 yards because of the moves and the, the speed that he has. So, It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Certainly this list, for what it's worth, is a lot more difficult when you bring in 15 transfers plus three junior college players um, and as well as your regular recruiting class. So there's a little bit more, I think, uh, intrigue or, or, or mystery maybe even to this particular roster than we usually have. But, you know, yeah, I think Castaneda, maybe he's not a guy at the forefront of fans' minds right now, but, you know, a month into the year, that could change pretty quickly. For those fans that don't know and aren't looking at film like a lot of us probably are and you're studying things like that is it a safe comparison to say what we what we hope obviously but what we could probably see from him would be comparable to uh, Samari Touré from last year the same style of play the ability like you said to take the top off when needed but take 
a 10-yard pass and, and get you a 40-yard gain. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the, the upside, the hope. And, you know, Nebraska's track record in recent years with receivers is not great, right? Like, they're one of their best, uh, you know, receiver additions in the last few years. They, they put at running back in, in Wondell Robinson because they didn't have enough bodies at that position. So there's been a lot of attrition there over the years. You wonder if, if that will change now with Mickey Joseph uh, manning that position. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do. I think, you know, you, you look around that receiving core, it does feel like even though there's maybe not a guy that you, that you feel like is, is the guy, maybe you think Trey Palmer is that guy, but it feels like there are more possible breakout candidates maybe than Nebraska's had in recent years, whether that's Palmer or Omar Manning or Oliver Martin or, uh, you know, Garcia Castaneda or whoever it might be. Um, but I think what's interesting about that group too, is they all sort of have their own different skill sets, right? Like Manning's sort of the, the big body guy that you like on the outside, Garcia Castaneda, um, you know, at least in the spring, they were working out all over the place, whether that's at the X or even in the slot. So I think you're going to see a little bit more, uh, utilization of, of receivers over the middle than we've had, uh, at Nebraska in a while. Um, you know, they, they, they took a lot of deep shots as an offense over the last few years, but I think they were, uh, you know, lacking a little bit maybe on the intermediate routes, the slants, um, the things of that nature. And so you wonder, um, even just with Mark Whipple coming in and introducing more of that and, and more of this pass-heavy offense, if we're going to see, you know, somebody like Garcia Castaneda really be able to break out. Evan, Alex here. Uh, I'm looking at a guy on your list. I For me, it's hard on the outside to start the season to move him up. But I'm thinking if you guys did this again at the end of the season, a guy like Brian Buschini could move up depending on how effective he is. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, it's it's so hard to project a lot of these roles at this point, especially with the transfers that have come in. But, yeah, I mean, if you re-rank at the end of the year and Brian Buschini is – doing what some of the best big 10 punters do and that's you know pinning guys inside the 20 and preventing returns and uh you know making for long drives for the opposing offense then yeah absolutely i think uh, he could be uh, quite a bit higher on that list maybe top 15 even i mean that's such it's such a valuable weapon to have and it's been a number of years now since nebraska's uh had a punter that you feel like you can put a lot of trust in and as, as we all know, uh, had Nebraska had even average punting the last you know two or three years, you're probably talking about, I don't know, three, four games maybe that went the other way. Um, and, and it could be a totally different uh, perception of, of what this season's like if they would have had somebody who, who you know could kick the ball consistently where they want it to go. And so you know hopefully they, they have that shored up. And I think the thing that you feel good about with a guy like that is that especially when you take somebody from the FCS level as a transfer, like if anything's going to, to correlate directly or transfer directly from one level to the other, it would be kicking, right? Like it's, it's not like you're trying to evaluate what a running back can do uh, in the big 10 versus the big sky or whatever. It's, it's kicking is kicking. If you can, if you can uh, execute the punts, if you can uh, get them, get the ball where you want it to be, you feel like you can do that at any level. And so, um, you know, again, kicking, punting, those things have hounded Nebraska for the last four, five, six years. And so, yeah, Yushini can come in and show he can be that guy and 
uh, put Nebraska on par with some of the best teams in the league in that regard, then, yeah, he's going to be uh, an invaluable member of the team. No, that's an excellent point. Uh, so since we've got so many transfers and so many so much shifting, you know, on all sides of the ball, and since fall camp is just starting, you know, next week, what I guess is there anything specific that you're looking at as far as position battles? Anyone that really stick out to you more than any other ones? Well, you know, I was trying to go through. It's always kind of fun to look at the the storylines heading into it. And to me, you could probably make the argument that there are as many as maybe ten starting jobs up for grabs if you count quarterback, if you count uh, running back, which could go a number of different ways. So. You know, to me, there are sort of three-ish positions that are of, of most intrigue, and that would be receiver, defensive back, and offensive line. Now, what, in my opinion, when I look at receiver and defensive back, even though there are all sorts of jobs up for grabs, it feels like it's coming from a place of depth. Like there are, you know, six, seven, eight guys at each position that you could make the argument and say, okay, you know, that 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 person could jump in there and be a contributor, even though maybe they don't have, uh, they're, they're not necessarily proven as college players, or at least not proven at Nebraska. So I, I guess that's all that to say the O-line to me is probably the most interesting because even though there are a lot of bodies in there, it just feels like it's a position that hasn't been able to get a lot of traction this off season. I mean, you have a new position coach in Donovan Rayola who's teaching new technique you have two of your <clears throat> presumed starters in Turner Corcoran and Teddy Prohaska who missed springtime with injury. So they haven't been necessarily out there and, and gelling with their block fellow blockers. Um, and of course you have Newelli who was suspended for the failed drug test in June. And so it just feels like, you know, you, at a position that's going to be so critical for Nebraska this year, especially if it's offense, uh, wants to get where it wants to get. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of question there. You know, what's the health like of those guys who are coming back? Can Trent Hickson, former walk-on, be that guy at center? Do you feel good about that? Brock Bando, as a sixth-year guy, I mean, he's he's waited and 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 now it seems like it's his time at right guard. You know, is is he going to jump all over that? What about the transfers, Kevin Williams and Hunter Anthony? How do they sort of integrate themselves into this thing? And so. It just again, it feels like with so much at stake, especially right away when you got to go to Ireland and be on a roll against a Big Ten West opponent. Um, it just feels like a big ask to have that room, that position group um, set and ready to go. So these first couple weeks of fall camp are going to be critical for that. It'll be really interesting to see and hear from players and coaches about how that develops. But you know, if Casey Thompson's a star, if the skill position players break out. Not a lot of that's going to matter if the blocking isn't sound up front. So I think that's one that I'll be watching this fall to see how it coalesces. Yeah, that uh, that whole offensive line discussion just seems like disorganized <laughs> chaos to me right now. Uh, I hope it's not really like that in the room. Uh, Evan, this week we found out that Scott Frost, Shenander, Whipple, they're going to be the only ones available to the media this season. Uh, our favorite bird app, of course, was full of opinions. Now that you've had a couple of days to let this settle, what what's your take on that? Is this a good move by by the team, or is it kind of stupid in your opinion? Well, you know, from a from my perspective as someone who's at practice every day, 
uh, or at least when there's availability. Um, I always appreciate hearing from the assistants. I think they're really insightful. I think, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not, it doesn't take anything away from Scott Frost or the coordinators to say that they can't speak in as much detail about the position players as the position coaches. And, and I mean, those are the guys who are random all day, every day. And so when we do, you know, features on a player, when we want to know what happened in a game, it's really valuable to hear their insight. You know, I think back to even last year when, uh, after the Michigan State game, when everyone wanted to know what happened with that punt that went, that they returned for the touchdown late. And Mike Dawson came out and, and talked about it. And, you know, he kind of said afterwards, like, look, I didn't necessarily want to be out here, but people need to know what happened. And, and there, there needs to be some transparency. And so I always appreciated that answer from him. And uh, I think we got that a lot through the years. I mean, Travis Fisher um, back in 2018, talking about Lamar Jackson and his uh, his transformation from, um, you know, where he was to being a, a leader of that position group. So I think you have a lot of examples where their insight is pretty valuable. And so it's disappointing in that regard that we won't get to hear from those men uh, as the season goes on. But at the same time, you know, again, it's it's up to Scott Frost to make those decisions. And if he feels like uh, you need to sort of I don't know, hone, hone in the message or, or, or limit the, the amount of voices coming out of the program, then, then that's his call. And if it works out and if, if, it, if it takes away some distractions and it helps the team, then, you know, that's his prerogative to make that decision. And, you know, as, as it was made abundantly clear on social media, I know a lot of fans, they don't really care or they're okay with it as long as the wins start to come. So, you know, we'll see if that's the case. Um, but, you know, again, I suppose I would say from on a personal level, it's a little disappointing because I think those guys are, are really interesting uh, to hear from. Mickey Joseph certainly would have been interesting to hear from during the year. Bill Bush, same sort of thing. Um, but again, if it if it focuses uh, the team for for this must win, prove it now sort of season, then you know I think Scott Frost would look back and say it was the right call. That is, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all goes because. That's all I kept thinking about is getting those little details, the personal stories of what what we're finding out from the players. That's what those assistants in the room in those rooms can bring us. And you know, I know you guys will still be able to to probably get the, that information email, just making it a little bit more challenging than it than it was in the past. We've uh, try to wrap things up here with uh, Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, I've got a one quick question came in from a loyal listener and member Luke of the uh, congregation. Where does the roster stand now? Have have they gotten it down to the eighty five, uh, the the number, or is there still uh, some some movement that needs to happen heading into Thursday? Well, their their overall roster, when you talk about walk ons and everything, uh, yeah, is, yeah, is about about one fifty one fifty one. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they're you know the like the one hundred five for camp. That's that's really not much of a thing anymore you mentioned the 85 that's that's sort of the only um the only thing that you have to hit at this point is is for the time camp starts are you at 85 and you know we'll find out because sometimes it's hard to say because um you know oftentimes players will go on scholarship for like a semester or maybe a year and it's not always clear at least publicly um you know if a guy even like you hear about walk-ons that go on scholarship uh, over the years sometimes that's that's like a from that point forward sort of deal and sometimes that's a you're going on for a semester you're going on for a year 
and then they go back off again. And there are a number of examples of that, uh, even on Nebraska's roster in the last year or two. So that's something we'll have to ask Scott Frost in Indianapolis here in a few days about what their situation is there. It kind of felt like just kind of looking through the roster and making some assumptions that maybe you'd see another uh, transfer or two leave the program. That hasn't been the case. So, uh, you know, that kind of makes me wonder if maybe uh, – you know, some of those guys who have previously been on scholarship are no longer. Um, and again, like a lot of that becomes sort of a gray area now anyway with, with NIL and the fact that these players can get financial assistance through that as well as through uh, academic performance standards and incentives. So, you know, that's something else Nebraska is starting now where if you hit a certain mark academically, you're going to get five or $6,000 in support from the university. So, um, you know, the, all, all of the sort of benchmark things that we're so used to tracking are sort of blending together a little bit. But it does seem like overall, if Nebraska is not at the 85 now, um, they're, they're certainly within one or two players. And, and if there's any more movement to be made, it'll be made here in the next day or two. Perfect. Uh, thanks so much, Evan, for joining us uh, from the Omaha World Held. We appreciate you coming on with us. Um, we look forward to having you back uh, as the season kind of goes on to discuss the Huskers and kind of hopefully have a much better discussion next time we get you on with us. That'd be great. Thanks for having me guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. When we return to the church of the corn on 1620, let's talk about some of the biggest coaching hires in the country, maybe possibly even here in Lincoln. With Zach Sandy, Alex Drake and Fitz on 1620, the zone, 1620, the zone.com and the zone app. Now here are your hosts, Zach, Alex and Fitz. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We were just joined by Omaha World Herald's own Evan Bland, and he brought up a couple interesting points um, on their top 50 Huskers that they're doing this year list. Uh, definitely check it out. It, there, there's a lot of interesting ones on there, a lot of newcomers. Um, a couple that I'm that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but everyone's talked about all offseason because it's the offensive line. Kevin Williams. What what do you guys make of Kevin Williams? Do you guys think he's going to be a impact player this year? Fitz, what 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 do you think? I think he has with a with a with a a, a good fall camp um an opportunity to to lock in a starting role. The benefit that that he's getting coming in now is that he does have a new coach. So whatever everyone whatever everyone else is learning and putting together what coach Rayola wants them to do he's getting it at the exact same time and so if his if his body is ready which we believe it is the the um the passion is there the desire to put himself in a position to try to play at the next level um I really do I think he's going to be someone that can step in and lock down one of those interior positions which then frees up um the conversation on a couple of the others. Yeah, no, I I think he locks down a day one starting job. The other advantage he has is Riola's getting to see all these guys up close and personal for the first time. And what he did see on film, Kevin Williams has a lot more game film showing success than pretty much anybody returning on that offensive line. No, no shots, but th- that offensive line has been in shambles for four years. So... I think Kevin Williams does have a slight advantage there. I think he's starting at at right guard um, when we're in Ireland. 
rapid fire, just because I've got a few names and I want to see if you guys think they're going to be starters or if they're not going to be starters. Um, Bryce Benhart, starter, no starter? No. Right tackle. Let's go Hickson. Yes. Yes. Uh, Henry Latovsky. No. No. Hunter Anthony. Yes. Undecided. Teddy Prohaska. If healthy, yes. Samesies. So it it, it seems like nobody kind of knows what's going on with that offensive line. Like I um, said, it's chaos. But Riola did have some great things to say. Um, on three, had a great write-up on that offensive line and, and all the quotes from them. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. Um, tons of great information in there. Um, when we return to the Church of the Corn on 1620, we will break down the biggest coaching hires in the country. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We are going to break down some of the biggest coaching hires in the country. This could be head coaches, assistant coaches. It's kind of up to you on who you think is going to make I don't know. I would say the biggest impact at their new school or, uh, you know, position. Um, I Let's go ahead and start off with you, Drake. Who, who do you got at number three? I am starting with Virginia new head coach, former Clemson offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. Ooh. Tony Elliott inherits an offense that was ranked third best in college football last year. He also brings back his quarterback, um, who was the nation's number three passer in 2021. I think his ability to come in here and just clean a couple of things up, bring what he did from Clemson, bring in that culture. I think that's going to go a long way and kind of flip this team, make them a little bit more competitive. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's one of the best hires in the country. Fitz, who do you got for number three? Uh, my number three is uh, Brian Kelly, uh, LSU. Um, and his family. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna change my accent just to talk about Brian Kelly in the Bayou. But he's 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 a winning coach. Uh, Notre Dame's winning his coach. 100, 113 wins, I think, since 2010, if that's accurate. Um, but he just he's got the recruiting base. Obviously, he's a proven winner. Um, it may not be um, your your normal look of everything and there's been some unorthodox uh, uh, social media posts and, and all this recruiting things but he's he's willing to, to buy in and, and somewhat sell out with everything that's going on with the NIL and I think he gets those guys going he's gonna have he's gonna have a winner down there I don't know if it if it just takes off this season but I think for LSU um, it's a good it's a good place to be and with with a proven head coach who can run the team run the organization, run that every single room, all those coaches, and just and get them up to speed real quick. That, that's that's a good uh, three for both of you. I'm going to go Lincoln Riley at SC. Um, it still doesn't feel right to me to say Lincoln Riley and USC. Even when I typed everything up yesterday, I was still typing Oklahoma behind his name. Um, I do think he's going to be a huge splash this year with everything they have from the transfer portal and everything they've recruited in. It's really impressive what he's done in a short turn. Uh, Drake, who you got it to? Uh, I'm, my number two, and I'm going to preface this with, I don't know that he's going to be the biggest impact. Uh, my number two is is the most intriguing new head coach hire in the country to me. It's Billy Napier from Louisiana down to Florida. 
That's a great pick, by the way. And, and the reason I say it's the most intriguing is because, you know, pretty much since Urban's left Florida, it's it's been a dumpster fire. I think Billy Napier has the ability to revive a program, but I don't know how you go into the SEC and revive a program. Didn't it really feel like Dan Mullen was the guy to bring Florida back before everything kind of went haywire? I, I thought he was he was making great strides. I just I don't think he things went haywire. It became unorganized mayhem down there. And I don't know everything that went involved, but I don't think I don't think it was just about things on the football field. So that's a that's a great point. I think there's there was something going on in the ether that we don't know about or won't know about for a bit that was going on that made that decision a lot easier yeah but so billy billy napier helped build louisiana into at least a respected program over the last several years he won four 40 games over four years placing first in that division each season two sunbelt titles and finishing in the top 25 rankings twice i am going with my number two uh mario cristobal new coach for the Miami Hurricanes. Um, surprised that he left Oregon uh, as quickly as he did. He'd, he'd been there a little while, gotten promoted. Um, and it was a little bit of a, an awkward uh, dating scenario that they, that they had together for a while. It was, there was no um, surprise. Once the first word got out, it was, it was very kind of poorly um, done on Miami's part, but they got who they wanted. Um, he is a, he's creative. Um, he's been around coaches, you know, Scott Frost, for example. Um, you, you go back uh, to the types of, of a system that he wants to run. And I think he's going to bring a little bit of that excitement to Miami, which, you know, just like Nebraska has been down and not where they want to be and not where the fans want them to be. It's better for college football when Miami is good as well. Um, we've got talented kids. They are all in with NIL, which is going to continue to, to bring uh, more. They've got uh, support of uh, on three at a very, very high level, a lot of connections there. And with a potential first round quarterback, uh, Cristobal Gaddis, Josh Gaddis doing the, doing the offense. I it's, they've got a chance to, to shake some things up. And I, I believe have probably a better first year than a lot of the teams that we're going to be talking about with new coaches. Yeah, um, he's going to be an interesting one. I, I think it was the best coaching hire that they could have made with who they had if connection-wise. I'm going to go a little bit off the radar with what I said originally. I'm going to go with Dan Lanning um, at Oregon. Um, and the reason is because he's going to bring the I, – I, I think Oregon has wanted to be the SEC of the Pac-12, that SEC team that – Run, run, run under Cristobal. I think that's what they were building toward the big offensive line, the big defensive line, and speed all over the place. Um, I think Dan Lanning is going to bring that mental toughness of the SEC to Oregon. Um, they are recruiting at an elite level, uh, better than Cristobal was even, which is insane to say. Um, I just think Dan Lanning is going to do some great things up there. Well, it's going to be interesting with that, with him going up there having been the defensive coordinator at Georgia where there's a premium on defending and what we know from from Oregon and, and the Pac-12 is that there's not always a premium on on defending so it'll be it, I'm just very intrigued by that idea 
have do you do you forego what you know about defense and and coaching that to to keep up or are you going to try to change some things um more on the offensive side because you can't you can't have so many you know 30 second three plays all total and now your defense is back out there again if that's what they're trying to do so sustaining some drives um that part of it for me will be really really interesting i like that pick a lot round us out we got number one so there's still quite a few names left on the board to talk about that could be considered sunny dykes at tcu is interesting laskins the miami oc that went to smu is interesting we talked about you know lincoln riley Brent Venables seems like an easy one, but I'm I'm going Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, and it has less to do with what I know about him as a coach, and two two other factors. Uh, one, the video of him being announced as the head coach in front of the players and their excitement, their joy, makes me think that he was super. He was more important to that Brian Kelly staff than anybody knew at the time. And I, I don't expect a drop off with Notre Dame. I think he was kind of the glue that held it all together and everybody's excited. But the second part is going to involve conference realignment. I think Notre Dame is going to hold out this whole season before they make a decision. And it's going to depend on what this team looks like. Well, supposedly the deal that's on the table per something I read per NBC was uh, Notre Dame was seeking $75 million to stay independent this year, and NBC is thinking about paying it pretty pretty thoroughly. So, Yeah, but I just – I think a couple more shoes drop this this during the season with conference realignment. Notre Dame's going to see the writing on the wall, and they're going to be forced to make a play. And I think they're going to use this season as a measuring stick to decide – can we go to the SEC? Do we want to go to the SEC? Or is the Big Ten where we belong? I think what Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame does on the field this year plays a big factor in that. Good point. My number one, uh, which uh, Drake was uh, so elegantly said was an easy pick, uh, is Brent Venables. Uh, heading back to Oklahoma after uh, a, a short stint there from 99, um, or not a short stint, excuse me, a uh, long stint from 99 to 2011, and then pretty much another long stint down at Clemson. He is a defensive mind regarded as probably one of the best defensive coordinators in the country over the last 20 years. Uh, Aggressive style of defense, uh, creates lots of turnovers, uh, puts lots of different looks uh, out at you uh, for the the other team to to try to play against. And I think that style uh, can fit really well in, in the Big 12. I just... I think it's going to be with a lot of the movement that's happened, uh, losing, losing quarterbacks. They did get uh, Dylan uh, Dylan Gabriel, excuse me, and uh, his uh, offensive coordinator. So there's uh, some familiarity there. But you know they they only have ten returning starters, so they're filling in a lot. But they we know Oklahoma's backups are uh, the rest of the Big Twelve starters for the most part. So they they want they can be good. They're going to be good. It's just going to be interesting to see. Uh, what takes the the biggest jump? Is it the offense or is it the the defense? I'm going to finish up with the. Uh, I'm going to take Mickey Joseph number one, just based upon the attitude he's brought to the program. The recruiting has amplified, or you know, just skyrocketed. So, he, he, proven results already. Plus, what he's done at LSU with wide receivers. Um, so that's kind of mine. Um, when we return to the Church of the Corn, we'll be joined by On Three's own Brian Munson to break down some recruiting. Don't miss it. 
It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We are very, very excited to be joined by On3's own Brian Munson. Brian, how are you doing today, man? Hey, good morning, guys. What's up? You know, just uh, living the dream over here, just uh, taking part in church. Happy to have you join us. Um, I'm happy to be here, man. <laughs> so like every Saturday thing we got going here. We love it. Uh, quick question. Uh, Brian, or Braden Marshall, he's a yeah. big commit coming up on the 30th at 6.45 p.m. Should Huskers uh, take a look at this, or is this something we shouldn't be too concerned about? I don't think it's anything you should be too concerned about. Now, Braden, that's an interesting one, right? I mean, Braden is a, is a fairly highly regarded cornerback. Um, who traveled to Nebraska at least twice that I can think of on his own dime um, and loved it, absolutely had a great time, but was never brought back for an official visit in either May or June. Um, and that kind of threw up some flags, at least with me, because, I mean, you've, you've got Boodle in the class, you're bringing in Tayshawn Wilson, you're bringing in Ryan Robinson, and you've had Braden Marshall come in from Florida now a couple times, paid his own way, and you didn't bring him back uh, on an official visit. I just felt like that was just kind of the that was just kind of the telltale sign that Nebraska had plenty of other guys that they felt like were higher than him on their board. Um, and and I would really find it difficult, <clears throat> really find it difficult that there would be a path for a player, uh, maybe who has even visited Nebraska, you know, unofficially. Uh, but not officially to, to really have a chance or an opportunity to have a committable offer. I, I, I think that the committable offer status, you, you got to kind of view an offer in, in two different phases. Um, Nebraska has offered well over 300 kids so far in the 2023 class. Does that make every offer committable? No. There's, there's got, that's really more, I, I call them kind of two phases. The first phase is the evaluation offer. Nebraska throws down an offer as an evaluation because they want to be part of the conversation if that's the way that they want to go. But this just kind of creates the relationship. This creates the relationship between the team, between the school, and the player. And from there, it can kind of grow. Nebraska continues to kind of dig around, think, think about how things are kind of going, look at their board, kind of kind of prioritize their board. And then if you're high enough, high enough on that board – you may get asked to come in for the junior day to the whatever, and then that's on your own dime. And then if they want to bring you back after they've fully evaluated you, eyes on, measured you, talked to you, see how you kind of fit in around the, the campus, then you move over to a committable offer. Then that committable offer really is kind of tied to an official. So it kind of sounds like Nebraska doesn't always want to go to the party. They just want to be invited. Uh, Brian, <laughs> last time we talked about Malachi Coleman – um, we had some good things to say. He just announced that he's moving his commitment date up to October 15th. That's got to, you know, look pretty good for Husker fans, correct? It does. In fact, I was in the middle of writing a, a reaction to it, and then another on-three writer kind of beat me to it, and I said, well, uh, he kind of stole my thunder. I, I just closed my computer and walked off. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the improvement or the acceleration of the commitment date tells us a couple things about Malachi. Um, first off, he hasn't narrowed down or knows where it is that he wants to go. Uh, 
and, and number two, there's there's always been a part to Malachi to where he wanted his announcement to to be on television. He really wanted to have some sort of platform, some sort of, of way to kind of publicize it. I'm assuming that whatever kind of uh, scenario he had set up for himself in December, he was able to kind of get a similar uh, scenario in October that allowed him to kind of have that same face time to kind of get things out. And, you know, this is the first guy in, in uh, Maverick doing something similar, not necessarily the same way that Malachi did it, but um, Malachi coming off an official visit held basically a press conference for the Nebraska media. He just wanted to kind of aggregate all that stuff together and give, you know, just basically one interview at, uh, to, to everyone and, and then kind of leave it at that. Maverick, you know, had his Zoom call, which was smart. It, it, those are, those are pro type of plays, right? Um, so I, I think for Malachi, I think that the good news for Nebraska fans is, is that, you know, he's been in Nebraska. I think that people don't understand that he's been up there a few more times since his official visit has, has you know, came and gone. Um, and these are all really good signs for Nebraska that he's moved his candidate up. I'm, I'm sure that he's going to get his going to get his chance to announce it. But like I said earlier in the week, uh, I, if I had a chance to, if it really mattered, and I could go back in and change my percentage from 85 percent confident with Malachi Coleman in Nebraska, I would it would it would go all the way to 95. You know, I think that I think everything looks really 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 good right now for Huskers, and that would be the fourth wide receiver commitment in the 2023 class. Three talking all three or all things recruiting. Excuse me. Um, Want to jump over to a uh, another twenty twenty three uh, recruit that uh, Huskers are showing some interest in. Six foot eight, three hundred fifteen pound. I had to get that in there. Big monster of a guy. Uh, offensive tackle Ethan Thomason out of Fort Collins. He's got a lot of offers on the in the West. Uh, in the, BYU, Utah, Stanford, plus uh, several Big 12 schools, um, some others out there that, that have they've talked to. Do you think this is somebody that Nebraska can, can sway and, and get in the conversation with? And then is there anything uh, that could potentially lead Nebraska from, from not uh, wanting to uh, give him uh, really a, a, an opportunity? Yeah, you know, he's interesting. Um came in for a junior day. I think it might have even been the spring game in April. Uh, I'd go back and talk to him. Great kid. Unbelievable kid. And then when we caught up in the month of May, thinking that, like, oh, you've got to be like, as you saw the other players around the area of bordering states um, kind of fall off, you know, Nebraska's radar a little bit, other than Caden Green, um, the uh, like Reichert and Odding and, and other guys. Um, when you saw that happen, Thomason and Green still had Nebraska at least on their list. But when I called Thomason, he was kind of confused. There, there wasn't a lot of things kind of going on with Nebraska at that point when it came to official visits. He didn't have the Huskers scheduled. So he's taken three official visits so far through the month of June. He's got two remaining. Um, Nebraska has been consistently communicating with him now. Uh, and I think that he will take an official visit to see Nebraska in September. There are some things to kind of get around when it comes to comes to Nebraska. Right? They, Nebraska, I think, at least wants to add a, a one more offensive tackle into the class. Um, if Ethan Thomason is that guy, they have to weigh the fact that he is going to plan on taking a Mormon trip uh, starting in January. So he'll be he, he will be 
uh, basically doing that for two years. So I think the Huskers, if, if Thomas was part of the group, they would want to grab at least two guys um, and, and let that kind of play out and see what happens with Ethan when he returns back. And that's why BYU is, is big on his list. BYU should, should be considered the leader, that obviously, for Ethan right now at the moment. But the Huskers showed him a lot in April. And, and I think that that's still got him thinking about, you know, the possibilities and what it could mean for him to go to Nebraska. But there are a lot of things for Nebraska to, to overcome in that space. And, and there's some things, obviously, for the Huskers to have to consider when it comes to the Mormon mission and, and, and his, you know, what he wants to do, you know, following uh, his high school, the end of his high school career in days, because he's going to graduate early to start that mission in January. Great point that you brought up, Brian, about um, possibly taking another offensive tackle in this class uh, or in the 23 class. You know, with there being not too many more committable offers, if there's a Hurd or a Hughley that decides to join the class, that has to be a no-brainer, right? Absolutely. That's a that's a you know if you've got if you've got Junior Sia in the class as an example, and Huey calls you the first end of the first week in December and says I'm flipping on Georgia, I'm coming to Nebraska, or, or decides to pick your hat up on signing day um, in December. Nebraska doesn't turn that one away. No. That's what I thought. Yeah, those are those are offers that are just a, a no brainer. Um, has anything? else come out about Zalance Hurd? I mean, he's been pretty pretty quiet on that front from what I've seen, right? He, he has been quiet, and I know you guys had, uh, had some good conversation on Twitter, and I was I was seeing all that. He has been quiet. Um, I Actually, Ryan Robinson's been very quiet, too. I've been trying to reach both those guys for the last couple of three weeks, and uh, they've gone pretty radio silent. Um, and, and I think that, that kind of coincides a lot with where – the college coaches, you know, have kind of been. I think the Nebraska coaches are finally making their way back to Lincoln uh, at least this week, and and uh, kind of getting back in the saddle a little bit for the start of fall camp. And I'm assuming that that means that recruiting a little bit, communication will start picking back up again, and, and Lance will probably come out a little bit more out of, out of that shell and and be a little bit more available. But uh, he has not been around a lot. Uh, I know he's looking like his decision probably is coming up in the next, you know, coming three weeks, four weeks possibly. So he's got some things obviously that are, that are kind of going on with him and, and figuring out how things are going to be. But uh, Lance Hurd's another guy, but you, you just brought him up. I mean, uh, if, if he wanted in now and, and Huey said later on that he wanted in, it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, those are, those are two guys and Caden Green would have been the same way. Brass would have taken all three of them if they could have got them, but, um, it, they, I think Nebraska would take both Keeley and Hurd. I think the preference would be with Hurd, and, and that would probably shock some people about that. But I, I think that that just comes down to, you know, the possibility that, of kind of getting a more um, – a kid that doesn't have to flip on, an, on, a, on basically a commitment to an in-state school. I think there's, there's just some – there'll be a better confidence meter, I think, with grabbing a guy like, like Hurd who hasn't been committed to LSU for a while. Uh, as opposed to Healy being committed to Georgia. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how kind of everything plays out with those guys. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for joining us from On3. We'll see you again next week, my friend. Um, Thanks for joining us again. Um, When we return, let's help these folks make a lot of money and pass the collection plate out. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 in the Zone, brought to you by FCC Trucking. We got the collection plate here, so we're going to try and make some of you some money this weekend. Only some of them? Well, yeah, not everybody can win. That's just how the world works. All right. So 
Lead us I off. I hope you all win. Yeah, well, at least one of us does. Go ahead. You start us off then, Drake. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the 3M Open. I'm taking Scott Piercy to win it. Um, you know, he's already in the lead. He's kind of running away with it. But then I'm going to switch over to baseball. I'm, I'm going to take the Astros on the money line. I'm going to take the Red Sox on the money line. I don't think they can lose after after what they did last night, but been wrong before with that team. Fitz, go, oh, no, I, I forgot. You're going to go last. That's that's my bad. That was your one request today. Um, I'm going to go betting on the looks UFC. looks like Brian Kelly without red his face just got. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> Sorry. You having an aneurysm? <laughs> Sorry, Fitz. Um, yeah, my I'm gonna go UFC today. Uh I'm gonna go Patty Pimblet, knockout. Uh I'm gonna go with Gustafson in an upset pick over Nikita Krylov. And then I'm gonna take Tom Aspinall in the main event by knockout. So, since you're building all this drama, Fitz, what do you have? Well, I, I felt like I'm I was letting the listeners down the last few weeks, just didn't put in the time. So I did have a chance to get uh, into confessional, met with Apostle Luke, and I'm feeling really, really confident about my picks this week. So today I'm going at race number nine at Del Mar. I'm taking uh, Rocking Redhead to win. Uh, today in World Match Play Darts, I'm taking Dimitri Vandenberg in an upset in a 215 match. And then for my Hail Mary pick, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to take uh, Sri Lanka at plus 190 over. <laughs> Pakistan in the uh, second test of the uh, ICC World Championships. Uh, it's a, a little bit of a gutsy pick, uh, but Pakistan is out there. Uh... I, I've got a question. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I need you to, I need you without Googling right now to tell me what the ICC is. Yeah, that was where I was going to start, but yeah, yeah, let's start with that. And then we'll finish with what sport is the third one? International Cricket Championship. Okay. Wow. I'm 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 kind of shocked that that. Well, I thought he was picking soccer, anyways. I, no, it's, it's full on cricket. You that's why I was extra confused. I didn't know what the ICC soccer. Pick it up. Was. Second test, fourth day of test one. Their fast bowler is is out. Um, got hurt. So. Uh, I, yeah, There's I'm, some validity to that argument. I I don't know. I'm legitimately shocked right now, and that never happens. Do you but, know if you can bet on that? Across the river? I, th- that I don't know. Uh, I think online you can. There's several several ways to do this. The, the thing is, though, it's it's really important because if Pakistan wins, they jump India in the in the rankings for the f- heading into the finals. So it's 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 quality. You actually did your research on this. I am so proud. I didn't of you. have to research. I met with Apostle Luke I'm... in confessional, and this is what I came away with. Okay, who's going to doubt that? I, I can't doubt that anymore. Um, I'm, I'm just going to put a little bit of a bow on this for the day. Thank you to Brian Munson, Evan Bland for joining us. Uh, don't forget this weekend we've got Ty Robinson, Jamari Butler, and the former Husker Blackshirt, Eric Leon. Shoot us any questions. And remember, we broke down Wisconsin a little earlier in the year for Drake, Fitz, Zach. Thanks so much for joining us on Church of the Corn. Have a great weekend, everybody.
Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.